There, uh, Erica, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, great. Wow, you got a good microphone. Anyway. <laughs> Actually, when you start talking, it's okay. It just, it's not feedback, but a, like that, uh, uh, um, what, a room tone, like a, like a hiss. Oh, where's your sound engineer? Um, right here. I'm, I'm, okay, you're talking, all right. You're talking to him. Oh, boy. Man of many talents. It's X day for, uh, for um, to the stars media or whatever. That happened this morning. I guess we'll talk about that. Erica Luke is with me. I've been on your show at least once, right? Yeah, a couple times. Oh, a couple times. Right. Once was uh, like a, it was a real guest, and once I was one of a few. Um, I don't even remember what we were discussing. Well, we just we seem to discuss a lot of things. I think we had the last time you were on, we were discussing the current goings ons in in this lovely field we like to call ufology. Yeah, I don't know what we like to call it. Maybe I don't, name, I don't know. Yeah, maybe the name should be changed to um, "Protect the Guilty" or something like that. <laughs> I don't know, but ufology's gotta go. It really does. Yeah. I agree. Uh, let's see. Let's play. Uh, let's. Which intro do you want? I, I sometimes I ask people what outro they want, but I've got Hervé. I want Hervé. You want that for the intro instead of oh, the yeah. show opening? <laughs> <laughs> you got me stuck on Hervé. Okay. So. Okay. I'll play Hervé Villachez, uh singing <laughs> instead of my normal opening. <laughs> I'll play Hervé Villachez singing. Why do people have to fight? So uh, it's Radio Mysterioso here for October 11th of 2017 with uh, Erica Lukes and uh, extremely strange, non-scheduled intro to the show. Oh, got to turn it up. Why (laughs) do people have to fight? This is actually perfect for the UFO theme. It is. They learn to do... What's right? Oh, it's profound. Why Oh, hey. Oh, there's a How long is the song? You what this song? How long is this song? <laughs> Too long. Uh, another about minute and a half. <laughs> minute and a quarter. Okay, we have to you have to follow it with Shatner or Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> just saying. I think we're just gonna do music for this show. I think so. Uh, have you heard um, Visit to a Sad Planet? That's a good one by Nimoy. You know, I have not. Maybe today's the lucky day. Okay. Okay, it's got like 45 seconds. I don't okay, want to well, interrupt her bay. No, no. But you are paying for my therapy after this. All right. Just, just send the bill. Okay. I'll get, get in line. 
you do a whole album? That I don't know. That would be amazing if he did. Now you've got me on a new quest. Oh, well, I'm sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, one more. Visit to a Sad Planet by Leonard Nimoy. It's basically about the the end of the earth uh, told by Spock. Oh, see, we're having all sorts of meaningful music today. Yeah, well, he's got. I think he's got two or three, um, like alien theme things uh, that he ever did. I think Spock thoughts was one of them. Um, well, then he also did. If I was a carpenter, if I had a hammer, I walked the line, and of course the uh, of course the big hit, highly illogical. Uh, oh, well, I just think Proud Mary, you know. <laughs> okay, here's Visit to Sad Planet by Leonard Nimoy. Stardate 2434.2. First officer's log. On a routine patrol flight in the Milky Way galaxy, I discovered on our space sensors an unidentified planet careening wildly in an eccentric solar orbit. I ordered an immediate investigation and, with much difficulty, maneuvered our ship for a temporary orbit. Upon beaming down to the planet's surface, all I could see were ruins. Ruins of some type of civilization. Crumbled buildings, deserted streets, charred vegetation, all covered with a thick layer of dust which our scanners indicated as intensely radioactive. See, I can't even talk. I'm so mesmerized. I proceeded to make a thorough survey of the area. According to my calculations, I could tell that some recent phenomenon or holocaust had occurred and destroyed whatever advanced civilization had existed on the planet. I found no sign of life. This kind of reminds me of Vincent Price. I yeah, sound. a little, you're right. It came from a cellar in one of the nearby buildings. Carefully and slowly, I found my way to the source and discovered a human being. Or rather, what once was a human being. A scarred, disfigured man lying in the rubble. When I questioned him, he told me that this had once been a great world. They had abundance and plenty. Intelligence, beauty, love. There was enough for everyone who lived there. But the inhabitants were never satisfied. They wanted more. They wanted everything. They started to quarrel amongst themselves. They could not live in peace. Is he a Scientologist? And they tried to destroy each other. Okay. In doing this, they destroyed everything. Their abundance... Their plenty, their own intelligence, their beauty, their love. Goddamn prophetic. So far as he knew, I know. He was the only living thing left, but that he knew he was dying. When I asked him the name of the planet, he replied, We called it Earth. Whoa. Oh, that's heavy! Dude. <laughs> there we go. Visit to a Sad Planet by Leonard Nimoy. 
I have a friend that actually interviewed him and said he was a real hard ass until he realized that she had done her homework, knew what she was talking about, knew his background, knew what he was into, and then he then he turned into a pussycat. Interesting. Well, I'm sure you'd have to have. Yeah, I mean, I, after being in the public spotlight for that long, you'd have to have a you'd have your guard up. I would imagine. Yeah. So crazy. I know it is crazy. Uh, I think we were here to talk about UFO stuff, maybe. <gasps> All right. <laughs> as much as I love talking about villages, you know, we got to talk about UFO stuff, especially given the light of today's big announcement. Yeah. Did you? I, I asked you before the talk, uh, we started talking, and you did watch it, yes? Yes. Yeah. I missed like the first couple of minutes because uh, my mom called, and I wasn't going to blow off. My mom calling me, so I talked to her and then uh, immediately joined up with it like three minutes in before I think he introduced the first person. Uh, what we're talking about here for historical sake is the To the Stars, uh, Tom DeLong. I don't know, announcement, uh, uh, IPO, whatever you want to call it. And uh, what, what he you know, showcased the people he had around him, the people from you know, former military and government, two of which he said have just quit their jobs to do this, which was kind of telling in the midst of about a hundred other things that we're kind of telling. But I'm looking at with it with, you know, through my lens, you're looking at it through yours. I've seen people going not nuts, but there's been tons of comments already on Facebook. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, everybody's it's... prejudice comes out. Yeah, it re- you know, it does. I think it's interesting because, you know, you get some people in in this field that, you know, oh, it's just a, a scam for money and da, da, da. you know, I mean, all of the, everybody has their opinions. And I think that, uh, or that, you know, before the, he, this announcement was even made, people were saying DeLong doesn't have anything and, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, well, he does have those connections. He proved that today. You know, he's got a lot of money behind him and the project. And so I, for me, my biggest question is why? What is the true agenda? Uh, I think it's a mistake to say there's an agenda. I think there's probably about five or six or eight or ten going on there. And what people pay attention to is the one that they think is the actual agenda. And, you know, of course, I think it's it has some... It, you you do notice, I think, that everybody he introduced either were directly or fairly directly involved with the intelligence community. Yes. That's very interesting. Um, uh, t- and to just to get people interested and to put money in and all that, they're going to see who these people are. Um, so that that's that's another thing. You know, it, this is what I get from the the Benowitz thing is that you you don't you don't bug people or get them interested because you think that they're you're going to tell them anything or that you may not even be using them for anything, but you want to know who's interested. That's all. Um, so it's basically reaching fingers out to see who's interested. And it, I thought it was kind of interesting that they said they had left their government right before or they had, that none of them are actually employed by the um, U.S. government anymore. I don't think. Um, there may be one that still has some kind of connection, but uh, I don't think any of these people ever really retire. It's, it's, it's a very exciting, important, and intricate, and heavily connected world where these people keep talking for most, most of their lives. I mean, some of these people, all the way up to their deathbeds, are talking to each other and exchanging information. Right. And there seems to be a, a core group of people <clears throat> that, have, that have been, you know, had their hands in all of this for a long, long time, as you know. And it seems like nothing has changed in that regard. Yeah, pro- I I don't think so. The other thing I think is you know the, the the 
if you want to draw a uh, comparison to the aviary, I don't think those people are in there to create a cover-up. What they were doing was trying to gather information. In that case, they were trying to gather information. Um, they were trying to control the conversation where it went to, to their advantage so that they could see who was saying what, what and um, how it could be manipulated so that people could be kept away from things and drawn to certain other things. And the third one is to, to flush, uh, flush out networks of people and find out who was interested and, and who knew each other and, and why. I don't think all of these things are going on in, in, in this scenario, but that, that's got to be part of it. And, I, you know, it, people have said all kinds of different things in the last few hours, and a lot of them I think are valid. It's just the, the, the mistake is to just think it's one thing. It is not one thing. It's not just making money. It's not just technology and all the stuff they're announcing. It's many, many, many many things because otherwise they wouldn't do it it would be a waste of time just to have right. one, one goal absolutely so i think if they make money off it they'll actually kind of be surprised and happy uh, the, the the point is to have it sustain itself and and oh the other thing about the the, the group um the aviary group is they weren't um they were all interested in the ufo subject and they all thought they could get some answers from it with their connections um i think that's part of it too Interesting. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I think it is it is always interesting to me to hear people talk about, oh, the money, the money, the money. It, it, I don't know if any anybody that says that has ever owned a business or, you know, ever put together a project like this. But it takes a great deal of money to put the infrastructure in place and to have things uh, functioning smoothly to get funding for research and all of this stuff. So I don't think there's there's going to be a chance that this is going to make money uh, no. to did line you, people's pockets. Yeah. Did you look at the the um, IPO offering papers? It's like it's 56 pages or something. Um, I was glancing at it this morning. Um, and it, you know, because it's, it's a public offering, they have to, uh, within reason, I guess, reveal everything. So they talk about who's on the board how much money is going to pay them, how much they've invested, how much they've lost so far. It's very detailed. And what it is, basically, if you look at it, it's like they've lost a ton of money already because that's that's how businesses start. I think the only way they're going to make any is, one, if they make some kind of breakthrough like they say they're going to, or two, probably more importantly, um, produce a few TV shows or movies uh, associated with it. I think the TV show movie entertainment part is um, partially to get a message out in some way or another, and two, to fund the rest of it. And and I think that's, it's, you know, we're living in a different age, and if you can utilize media uh, or, you know, the internet to get out a message, I mean, that's your most powerful way to do that, but it's also what what is the end game? What is the agenda? Is it to sway us in a direction, a belief to push us in the belief that this is the evil alien agenda, or you know what do we have going on? And that's that's what's always I think concerning to me, to you, to to a lot of us is where where is this going? Yeah, I I think I'm gonna you know I don't want to attack it and I don't want to support it really. I just kind of I want to stand back and zen like be interested in what's going on and see what happens because. I think the minute you start saying, it's this, I mean, that's all you're going to see. Everything's going to be a nail if you're a hammer. So I'll try not to be a hammer myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're good that way. I think that's the only way you can navigate a lot of this stuff is to just not be attached to anything. Because if you're not attached to something, you know, a certain idea, certain things start to bubble up and you can notice them where you would completely ignore them otherwise. And some of those things might be important or at least interesting. 
Absolutely. And I think people need to, I mean, the people that are the most vocal in our field, <laughs> you know, they had their opinions before this press conference or event took place. And so nothing's changed. They just have a, feel like they've got a bigger platform to, you know, get their whatever nonsense around out. I guess so. I just think that the first, if I start feeling a, like emotion in the pit of my stomach, I know something's wrong if I'm trying to gather information because it means I'm, I'm starting to filter because I don't like something. Or conversely, that I'm excited by something that I shouldn't get too excited about, you see. Mm-hmm. Try to be Spock, speaking of Leonard Nimoy. You know, don't be emotionally attached negatively or posit- positively to any of this information. But stay observant, interested, and remember things and take notes and talk to people and talk to people quietly and don't talk about that. You know, there's, I think there's a value in silence. That's the other thing about this. It's a very loud, full of publicity thing. I think if they were really trying to do something, uh, they could have done a lot of this by not saying anything. But I think the, the there's the aspect of propaganda and uh, to some extent and the aspect of trying to figure out who's interested and then at the very base of it the aspect of having enough people interested in putting money into it that it can perpetuate itself because like you said i don't think it's going to make a ton of money it's not the the idea i think is to keep it going so that they can do what the whatever the, the you know the stated aims are and plus the the unstated aims which i'm sure there's tons of them and individual ones and all kinds of stuff all right Enemy too, just to look at the the event or the money it probably costs to get all of these people together to put out that the broadcast and, and to do all of these things. I mean, that probably cost a lot of a pretty penny <laughs> to do. So I think before we start jumping on the a money bandwagon, we need to step back and and analyze some of the costs. Yeah, I, I think a lot of this is coming from DeLong's deep pockets, um, but they're not going to stay deep forever. He's not, you know, he's not a gazillionaire. I think he's a multimillionaire, but if you're not careful, that stuff can disappear. It's happened lots of times. Right. So, you know, what I think he's, uh, one, you know, of course he's he's flattered by the attention, and I think a lot of these people are atta- attracted to him because, you know, one, he's flattered by the attention. Two, um, I think that since he's new to this and hasn't developed a cynical attitude like the rest of us, um, <laughs> He's more easily brought into somebody's point of view, you see. Um, uh-huh. I don't know whether that's good or bad. I have no idea. I, I, being the age I am, I don't think it's I, – I, I, I'm very wary of such things. Also, I guess the uh, – now I can't remember what my third point was. Now, the upshot of all this was it's um, a bunch of people who have the wherewithal and, and the ideas to do something that's – is overt in a way that you know people can see and be affected by and covert in a way that almost any company any corporation they have their own corporate secrets and i'm sure this this company does and will too and which they don't have to reveal which is another important aspect actually um private companies don't have to reveal things if they don't want to the government does does supposedly Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. private companies don't yes it's quite interesting (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I I think the one thing, too, that I just want to say, the one thing that disturbed me when I was listening to somebody, to, to listen to the people that are that were speaking, and I wish I could remember who it was that said this, but they said they they viewed this as a problem. 
you know, and it was it was very much about how are we going to keep, you know, national security in the forefront and how are we going to keep us safe until we can figure this out? And I really I don't know. I mean, I, I understand that. And we do need to be cognizant of that. But I I just to me that it raised a, a little alarm bell. Miguel, a uh, red pill asked me, I, he said, what did you think of it? And I said, I had my eye ra- eyebrow raised quite a bit like Spock. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't uh, offended. I wasn't, uh, I, I was sort of intrigued, but most lives, the whole thing was like, huh, interesting, huh, interesting. Um, oh, what was the other point? I, oh, somebody in one of these lists brought up a very nice um, quote from some anonymous source. I don't know who it is, but um, there's a few guesses. But what they said, which I totally agree with, is um, disclosure is the new cover-up. <laughs> and there's yep. a, there's a heavy aspect of that in here. Absolutely. And it is it is interesting that such I mean they really they did have some very heavy hitting things to say. I mean absolutely. I mean this is a key group of high ranking officials ad- admitting that this is a very real thing. So that was that was important and I think I have to say that I I honestly commend Tom for digging into this and being passionate and establishing those connections, which is not an easy feat, and for for investing his own money and trying to get a good group of people together to to get this information out. I mean, that's a that's a that's something that most all of us want to have happen. So that is a real positive thing. Yeah, I just hope he has the the strength of character to say, "Look, I don't agree with this." When something happens that he doesn't agree with. Um, or thinks that uh, should be um, public and is not going to be public. Although, you know, at a certain point you get so far in the matrix that you just become part of that matrix and then, you you know, you, some, of your, some of your critical faculties don't work as well. And I know this from actual personal experience. And I try, I try to guard against it. But, you know, an in-group thing is, is a, very, a very tough thing to buck. Right. You know. Also, it's it's funny. It actually said that uh, those IPO papers. It said they're actively looking for somebody else to be a CEO besides DeLong. Interesting. So I don't know who they're going to get to do that. It also talked about you know how much money has been poured in, and one of them was some from three hundred thousand dollars was thrown in there either year this year or the year before by um, some company called R Two Dogs Incorporated, and I uh, somebody linked a Blink One Eighty Two um, fan page, and I went through some of the comments there, and they said no, that's one of his companies, so that that was another DeLong, you know, sh- uh, not a shell company, but I guess. Where he keeps some of his money, and he, he he donated or threw that into the into the mix uh, when it was needed. So yeah, he's. I think he'll just keep supporting it as long as he can. I'm perfectly content to sit by and watch and see what's going on. And probably this is the most I'm ever going to talk about it. Uh, it would it be it, to me though. I think, and this is something that is important. I think for all of us who have had personal experiences, who have spent. A great deal of time and and our own money and uh, researching this or wanting to get together with like-minded people. I mean, what what happens and what role is there for for us in this? Because it didn't seem like there there really was. No, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I don't think there is, and I don't think they want it. I don't think they want people to be. However, if your research sticks up and it's something that's interesting to them, I'm sure they will contact you. 
Well, so what did, I mean, you know, we, I had a lot of people making comments comparing it to NIDS or to what Bigelow, you know, has done, which is obviously he's doing this for himself. I think he's the first person that would say that. Yes. <laughs> so I think I mean, he did. He just said, but when they said on 60 minutes, what do you think of what, when people say you're crazy or he said, I don't care. Doesn't make any difference to me. I don't care what they think. Um, which I completely understand and, and, and I applaud him for actually. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, as much as it would be wonderful to see the research that he paid for, <laughs> but, you know, obviously that's never going to happen. And then, you know, I mean, it poses another question. Are we truly ready to see what he and his research team found, if they found anything? There's been debate about whether they actually found anything. I, yeah, and I think I, they found plenty of stuff. Go ahead. I think they did too. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I know that there are a couple people that – are are saying that they didn't find anything, and I think that's absolutely wrong. I don't think they keep throwing money into pursuing something if they didn't have things to work with. Yeah. Well, the point about that information is that I believe it's it's fairly one-sided. As, as far as I can tell, he's not going to throw money into something that disconfirms his belief system. He will throw lots of money at things that confirms his belief system in some way, or at least modifies it in some way. If there's any disconfirming evidence or something that says there's nothing here, I'm I'm sure he ignored it, which is unfortunate. But that's you know it, that that's not scientific research. That's basically somebody using, well, this is how a lot of science operates, using science to confirm an opinion. But did he do that though? I mean, that's the thing. None of us know. And I would think because he's, he's such a savvy businessman that he would have the ability to to step back and look at things analytically. I don't know. Oh, no, I'm not saying that there's anything that was found is not valid. I'm sure a lot of it is. What I'm saying is that the parts that are not valid that people need to look at are, are, are not in there, and they wouldn't be if this information was released to people. So that's what I'm thinking about this new effort, too. And it, it, there was only a tiny, tiny little bit talked about UFO research. It was more like, what can we do with what we've seen? Um, that was the public face of what they were saying. Can we reproduce this kind of... Uh, the the observed um, characteristics of UFOs or UAP or whatever you want to call it, can we pr- reproduce this in a way that is exploitable as an industry? Mm-hmm. And that's concerning, in my opinion, because at the end of the day, who is it that will be making profits from this technology? Well, I think they looked at it. I mean, he did bring up Uber and um, I can't remember what else he brought up. He's uh, the the the, oh God, the guy from. Um, I can't remember exactly who said it, but he brought up uh, that everybody's using Uber and that nobody really anticipated this like 20 or 30 years ago. And yeah, Uber's making a ton of money. I went up to San Francisco to the drone convention and I listened to a guy from Uber who's in their aerospace division. Uber has an aerospace aeronautical division. And it's not, they're not doing this for, I guess they can say they're doing it for the benefit of mankind or whatever, but... What they're trying to do is transform the world so that people, you know, people, the way people get around is um, cheap, easy, fast. And um, you could say that buses spew a whole bunch of uh, pollution in the atmosphere. Um, you have to wait too long for them, mostly for, they're for people that don't have much money. But they're there, and somebody invented a bus. So that, I think that's what they're trying to do with this thing. They, they figure they can create transportation that is... At first, like anything, expensive and, and hard to do, but then becomes easier and easier and more people are able to use it. So you can get from you know London to, to New York in 30 minutes or something like that. I think that's kind of what they're aiming for. 
and yeah, they'll make if they can get it working, they'll make a ton of money. But then the rest of us will be able to get from London to, to New York or, you know, across town in, in five minutes, whereas now it takes us, you know, an hour in Los Angeles to go from one place to another, depending on where you're going. That that I think that's the, the image they're trying to project, at least partially. That was part of what hmm. you said today. Um, the guy made a big point about, you know, everybody laughed at uh, cell phones or what what cell phones are now people thought was impossible and crazy like 30, 30, 40 years ago. And he said you would have been laughed out of the buildings for saying that would happen anytime soon. Um, so that uh, their idea was that, you know, if we take those blinders off, um, maybe we can do things that are uh, amazing to us now. But we look back on it and say, well, obviously, we should have been doing those things. Um, these are wonderful, high-minded, lofty things, and I hope they can do them. But there's also the other side of it that we've just talked about for the last 45 minutes. Well, yeah, and, and too, I mean, who is, who is, I mean, do we have a, a team of people that will be attempting to communicate with whatever this intelligence is? I mean, how how is that being addressed? Because to me, that's more important than uh, garnering the the. Uh, technology. I mean, that's that's really serious. These are serious implications when we're dealing with things that we don't truly know about. And how how will we address that? I don't think they talked about that very much. I don't think they actually really care about. Well, if they do, it's not something they want to be public about because it starts to sound crazy to most well, that's, people. That's. Oh, that's unfortunate, and I think that <laughs> actually that I don't needs think to be addressed. Un- yeah, I don't think it's unfortunate because it's going to be a long time before people accept that the possibility that there's some other intelligence besides us that interacts with us occasionally. I'm pretty sure that happens. Everybody, almost everybody in the UFO community is pretty sure that happens to some degree or another. Um, but to have that as part as a part of a business plan is, uh, you know, the little money they're going to get. The I don't know. Hopefully, they get a few million or whatever would be significantly um, decreased if they said, "Oh, we want to talk to aliens too." Well, I think that's unfortunate. I mean, I think if they were going out there and taking that step and saying that these things are are real and we need to look into it, but hey, we want to profit off the technology, then they should. Uh, well, I mean, I would hope that there would be some sort of protocols for contacting or communicating or 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 dealing with this other intelligence. Yeah, well, I think that's something that uh, you and I and a lot of people we know sh- should consider and 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 pursue on our own quietly. And if it seems to work, start spreading that information because then it has nothing. That's the one thing I don't like about. Um, people like Greer, they seem to want to, one, it's an ego thing, and two, they charge people a lot of money for it. I think the the most honest way you can come up with, uh, can spread any information if it's useful is to say, here's how we did it. Try it yourself. Here the, here's, the, here's how you can do it. Tell us what you think. That is the 100% most honest way to do anything, and that's how me and other people I know want to proceed if, if we find anything out. Just be completely open with what it is. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be sorry for that, but I don't care. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, no, I think I fully believe and I have had personal experiences where something I feel, you know, there was an interaction. And I think that we have that we should look into some of these protocols. I think we should look into meditation. I think we should look into to some of these things to to try to to encourage 
some sort of uh, phenomenon and then and try to to go from there. And it's too bad that Stephen Greer had his, you know, that he's in a way kind of tainted. Yeah, because there are so many good people out there that do really important work with with contact groups. And again, I know, you know, I mean, probably I'm going to get a lot of nonsense for that too but i i don't care either <laughs> i'm at that point where it's like okay we just had an announcement today we've got you know all of these people that are admitting that this is happening we know that this is happening so how do we how do we engage it and i know that you feel the same way i do let's see what can happen yeah i don't think people should be scared of that i've been pushing that for a while i'm i'm going to talk to uh our friend jeff here in the in the afternoon here about about four hours after we finish uh, about that very thing and to most people friends of mine that know i'm into this they probably when they hear that from me it's like are you crazy you want to what do you want to do meditate and talk to aliens and <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of thinking well yeah you know if there is another intelligence and we can interact with it i think that would be pretty important but I, you know, it's it's the thing is I don't think it's going to happen by you know everybody's like any, anybody can you know won't, there won't be a dial in alien. What it's what it's going to be is people will interact with whatever it is on their own level, be it very intimately or on a very shallow level, and, I, and it depends on your personality and your motivations and you know probably time of day and where you live and all kinds of stuff that is completely not you know in control of uh, it, it's not a controllable situation. But the best way to get anybody to pay attention to something and, and realize that there's something to it is to have a personal experience. Uh, right. And, and, and so, no, oh. no amount of photos, recordings, people talking about it, videos, Tom DeLonge, Stephen Greer's movies are, are going to change that unless people have a personal experience. Well, and I think that, I mean, people, that, I, you see a lot of people, oh, whatever you want to call in this field, that, I mean, they've got their belief systems and their minds made up. And you look at some of the skeptical people, and it's like, I, I honestly feel that a majority of them are there just to uh, bully and, and other people and to stroke their own fragile egos, really. And it's like, if, if you are willing to, you know, bash a belief system or whatever you're doing, then shouldn't you have the decency to get out there and actually try it and then give your opinion? Because to me, that would make your opinion much more valid. Yeah, exactly. I, I tend to, unless it's something compelling and engaging, I tend to ignore most of that stuff because it's not relevant to me. Yeah, well, some of it is relevant. You can't just ignore people because you don't agree with them. But that's my do not engage thing. I, I will not engage with somebody that does not that has not delved into something deep enough, or it makes a profound enough statement that makes sense to me. For instance, if Joe Nickel says that the Kelly Hopkinsville, whatever they were, were owls, I don't need to listen to that argument anymore. Mm-hmm. But if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, have you looked deeper into the, you know, whatever cases, do you know so-and-so did this? Do you know that uh, they tried to profit? Do you know, you know, all these things. And if I can check them out and they look real, it's like, okay, you know what? You solved that case for me. Um, I don't know if you solved it for everybody, but I'm willing to do that to engage with people who have, who have done the goddamn work instead of just sniping. Because there are, there are quite a few skeptics that actually do the work, may, you know, delve into something and try and find out if there's anything to it or not. I mean, that Roswell Slides thing was a really good example. And also the Chilean UFO video was a really good example. Really easy to debunk very quickly once you had the right information. And, and that's great. 
that's not my main focus, but I think that's great that people are able to do that now. That's a, that's a positive for the internet and for the skeptical community. Yeah, and it, it is, and I think that's great. And I think anybody that's um, relatively grounded and and logical wants good information, and that means not believing not believing that everything is an alien or a UFO, and and looking at the facts that are presented. With that said, I think that both sides of this uh, coin here, I mean, we need to to learn how to to respect people. And just because we somebody proves that the Roswell slides were, you know, fake and, you know, all of this stuff, that means you can you you present that and then you don't engage in uh, negative comments or the other nonsense that goes on. Oh, exactly. In, within the Roswell Slides group, actually, uh, my friend Miles was kind of the conscience. Anytime it veered into these idiots, what's wrong with them? He'd say, look, stay on target with the information, which is th- that's needed. I think that's perfect. That's why the uh, Metabunk site that uh, dealt with the Chilean video, I went there. I joined that group, uh, their online group, which, you know, anybody can do and looked at their discussion, not once did I see anything like these stupid UFO people, why did they believe this crap? The entire discussion that I could see was, what is presented in this video? What can we find out about traffic patterns in that area? Uh, when the planes were up? Um, all kinds of, the, you know, do, do uh, cam, uh, cam trails, sorry. <laughs> can contrails appear and disappear very quickly? Why, yes, they can. I didn't even know that, and I, f- I fly airplanes. Not at a place where I'm going to have contrails coming out. But the, the fact that they did not engage in character assassination and dealt only with the information was really encouraging to me. How, I mean, and I, that is I applaud how professional. those people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, that's, it's, it's important that we, we act in this field and on the Internet when we're engaging this subject the way we would act if we were at work, yeah. the way we would act in a professional setting. And I don't understand what happens to people when they start talking about this subject. There's all this just really juvenile yeah. behavior. You better check your emotion before you say anything because you're immediately just going to come out swinging like a wild animal. And that doesn't, that doesn't solve anything that all it tr- turns into is, is a big fight. Do not engage. You know, for, uh, we've been talking for almost an hour and I didn't introduce you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just having such a good time, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the only um, uh, bio I could find is is on on the KCOR site. Do you want uh, Do you want me to read that, or do you want to do your own introduction bio? Uh, you know, I mean, that's totally cool. I'll just, I mean, I I'll just do my own little thing. So I I prefer that. Okay, well, it might be actually better if you read it, but I'll just do it anyway. <laughs> no, so no, no, no. Please do it yourself. You're the best person to tell us about your background. Okay, well, I so my my background background. I am a professional vocalist. I started studying classical at twenty or eight, fifteen, excuse me, and uh, I am a business owner. And I have had some really unique experiences throughout my life. And I was raised by a mother who was really incredibly, she is incredibly intelligent, but also understood that there was something more to life. And so I began really reading about this and researching the paranormal UFO topics when I was young. 
I had a series of sightings in 2013 over the Salt Lake Valley. And for me, because it was in airspace to the international airport and 80 miles away from one of the world's largest chemical and weapons testing facilities, Dugway, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was I, I wanted to know what these objects were. So I began researching that and, and finding patterns. I joined MUFON as a field investigator and eventually became state director and also worked for headquarters under Jan Harzan for a bit. And I ended up resigning my position as my assistant state director. Jeff Cox did as well at the same time and have been doing my own research and doing my radio show and traveling to different places to to learn as much as I can and to try to get out good information. So this is, it's a passion. It is something to me that is, it's really, truly one of the most important things I've ever done. And I feel that people need to get good information and they're not getting it. So how do we, how do we do that? Yeah, well, I want to get into that partially on this show. You can't teach people to be discerning about stuff. You just have to present them the information. Because if you start telling people what to think or how dumb they are or whatever, I, that's just going to drive them away. So how do you see the um, research community and this whole thing and the, and, the, and the conferences and the books that come out and maybe even the God Help Us, the TV shows, how do you see that changing so that it becomes more circumspect, um, supportable, um, and attracts you know, intelligent, discerning people? Oh, Lord have mercy. Uh, there's a let big me, one. Let me pray on that for a minute. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, a, that's a horrible – I don't know the answer to that question. No idea. I, well, it, it's, it is it really interesting to me because as you know and I know and everybody listening knows, you know, you get a lot of these uh, conferences and you see the same five speakers at every conference. And yes, most of them are men. Shocker. And it's to me, it's like there's a reason we're not engaging a younger generation, it's because we've got the same kind of old. I mean, well, you know what I mean. I could say something, but huh, we've just got DeLong the same. Is. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, that that is true. <laughs> that's, you know, that's great. We we need to get younger people excited about this, and that's why I feel that the work done in Norway is so incredibly important because they're doing that. We're not really doing that here, other than Tom DeLong. But um, you know, we we need to maybe not necessarily have so many conferences, but learn how to utilize YouTube and different social media to get to get information out. I don't know. We need to switch things up because the same old, same old and the same old focusing on, on Rendlesham or Roswell, I believe, needs to, all other wonderful, important cases, we need to reframe Excuse me for using that, but we need to reframe. <laughs> I know I'm such a joiner here, but we have to look at the way we're addressing this. You know, it this isn't about one case. Okay, we're not going to make or break this or prove to anybody that this is a reality with one case. It's about looking at the data, and we have enough of it. For some reason, people aren't looking at that, looking at the patterns, getting out and doing field research. That's where we need to go. And I think that it's, I don't know, I think that we can do that. I think we have to be smart. I think we have to form a good cohesive unit of like-minded people that want to see the same things, want to see good information get out there. And hopefully we can... 
Oh, I don't know what. Just just make some sort of change because this is actually one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in this community. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I love so many people who are involved, but this is really strange. Yeah, a lot of them are passionate, fun, intelligent people. I mean, I've met most of my best friends through this. And, and when I get together with them, you know, it's, uh, w- strange thing is we never talk about UFO stuff. We, we catch up on I've When I was in Roswell with Nick, all we did was tell each other, like, funny stories, um, show each other stupid YouTube videos, and talk about punk music. That's, that's what we did for 95% of the time that we were hanging out. So, you know, it, it, the, the, what the field that it attracts are generally pretty interesting people that have lots of interests. Um, and that's good. In fact, it is you know, and good, good. I mean, good human beings. I yeah. mean, I, you're absolutely right. I've met some of the some people that I will be friends with for the rest of my life because they are such incredible human beings. Mm-hmm. And some of those people are, are involved still with MUFON. And I respect them and adore them and learn from them every day. And people, a majority of the people that are in this are looking for what I'm looking for, which are their answers to their yeah. own personal experiences and i think that they deserve to be treated with respect and i think that they need to be you know i mean i for me i went to looking for answers i turned to an organization and i didn't get anything i just got more confused <laughs> yeah that was going to be actually one of my questions like what if you're prepared to talk about it a little bit what was you know in in as many as little or much details you want the saga and why did you quit Oh, it was. There were a series of things that happened, and at the end of the day, it was a few really uh, nasty human beings that were not didn't want to play fair, and they weren't they they were willing to use whatever they needed to use. And I, at the time, had, and I still, unfortunately, I think this person is out out there. um, But I had someone who became obsessed with me and was was very nasty and stalking me and that person contacted MUFON and everybody that he could think of and you clearly when you just look at the email exchanges you could see you know that he's got some mental problems but basically MUFON's stance was you know this isn't our problem too bad even though you're a state director and and every time you do anything especially on this person's uh radio shows is what I started to do. Um, it was as a state director representing MUFON and trying to get people excited, but they, you know, they didn't want to deal with that. So unfortunately this, you know, there were just some other things that happened and some really nasty people decided to use that for, to try to, 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 to discredit me. And it was really ugly and really, really hard. And, and I finally just said, if this is the way this is going and, and MUFON leadership doesn't support the people that volunteer, that raise money for them, uh, I, I no longer wish to be a part of this organization. And, and then there were the questions I had about where was the data going? Why were there important cases in the database that weren't there or portions of the files were deleted? You know, why... After 50 years, haven't we made more progress? I mean, there are all these questions that I still have about the organization. And I really think 
that, you know, they need to, when you're, when you've got a volunteer group of people, you need to respect them. And when there are serious issues, you need to address them. And that we've seen that, that we've seen that failure time and time again. Actually, basically, and I, th- I think this is, we've talked about this before, you, you, you quit because you thought, actually, you had a lot better chance of answering some questions for yourself by not being a member of MUFON. Yes, it, there, was, there was an event that broke the, the camel's back, and that's when my assistant state director, who's still my research partner, we both resigned. And honestly, it was, it was hard for me because I really, I cared about the people involved, and I saw so many great people. And um, it was really stressful. But I, I now feel like a huge weight has been lifted off my back. I feel like I am able to really pursue things the way I want to. And my the information that I get, I know where that's going. <laughs> it's not being tucked away somewhere. You know, I'll, I'll share what I know with people. So it's you know, it's it's a good thing, and I think that other people that I know that have resigned have felt the same way. They feel a sense of relief, as hard as the departure was. Yeah, you told me about Jim Clarkson about uh, three or four months before he resigned, and then I met him in Roswell, and um, since then I had my show, and we talked about this right after he quit and the reasons why, and a lot of the same reasons you're talking about here, and it, you know, from his point of view and his perspective. Um, basically, you know, not being supported and also support, being them being supportive of people he thought were um, dangerous to the organization and dangerous to their, their mission statement, um, people in the inner circle, so, uh, so, so-called. And we talked mm-hmm. about that on the show. So, and um, another thing he, he pointed out and he feels really badly about, maybe you can address this, what do the people in MUFON do now, now that a lot of people have left? I mean... A lot of these people, this is their only connection to the subject and, and a way to interact with other people that are interested in it. And if MUFON really doesn't care about them, which they don't, all they care about is making money and, and uh, perpetuating themselves, which is, I guess is fine, but that's not a research organization anymore. So, you know, what, what happens to all these people who, you know, do they form their own things? Do they go rogue? Do they find something else to do in life? How, how, how do you um, address the people that are supportive, interested, and uh, may be able to have something to contribute? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, there are a lot of really great MUFON chapters still operating and they, they're like their own little entities. And that's, that's important. That's great. And, and, you know, it, it can, this, the same social structure can, can be man, maintained in, in not having to call yourself you know, move on, whatever we can, we still have those connections that we make and we can still reach out to people in the community and, and let them know that we're all here and give people a place. It's just that we need to, we need to create a safe space. And I think some of the, the things that I heard from witnesses that were reporting things is that they were just treated really poorly and then their cases dismissed. And I think it's, it's one thing, you know, I mean, great people make mistakes you know, people people need to be educated on how to view and understand what an aircraft is, you know, what the lighting patterns are, how drones behave, all of these things. And it would be so simple if MUFON actually did an instructional video, which I told Jan, I asked him, I 
on a weekly basis. Let's do instructional videos on how to identify mundane objects. If you educate the public, then you're going to get better quality reports, Mm -hmm. which will be a wonderful thing. Nope, that's not going to happen. And so I just think there are ways that we can all do this and and support people and say, hey, you know, great, you you made a mistake. That's the, you know, that's the planet Mars, but you good job. You were looking up way to, to, to pay attention. And now you've learned something new. And so keep looking. So I don't know, we just have to totally rethink the way we're engaging people and we need to, to respect people, you know, even if, even if they're wrong sometimes, especially witnesses. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I, I do respect people, even if they're wrong, either one, if they admit they're wrong or two, they don't get pissed off and defensive when you say, look, I don't agree with you. I think this is what it is. If it's an agree to dis- disagree thing, I, I can get along with anybody. And uh, and that, that's great. But, uh, yeah, I think like, I, while you're saying all that, I'm thinking, you know, a regular witness of anything strange comes to you and talks about it. I think a lot of them want some kind of explanation, even if it is mundane. That probably takes a great weight off them just to figure out that there was some. No, that really was this. I can show you how. Oh, yeah, it was. Okay. I've had that happen. I've also had the thing where somebody comes to me and says, and I know what they're talking about is something mundane, and I can show it to them. I took this picture. That's a bird. uh, Are you sure? It's like, yeah, look, there's the wing. Here's another picture of another bird. Looks exactly like it with the wing that way, and that is a bird. Well, I don't agree with you. I don't think that's true. It's like, well, fine. Then it's a UFO for you, but I think it's a bird. But yeah, it's an on, an, on an individual basis with a lot of people. But yeah, you have to, not to the point where you either tell people what they saw, really important not to influence what they tell you, and that's a tough one. There, there's an instructional video. Right. Um, and um, not to... Uh, you know, push them in any direction or dissuade them from anything, unless you're absolutely certain. You know, it's like that is a goddamn bird. I'm sorry, it's a bird. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's it's very likely that it's a bird, so that's probably a bird. You know, and you know, probably more than half people say, "Yep, look, that that's a bird." And another segment will say, absolutely not. I don't think that it's a bird. It's like, okay, that's fine. Um, we will take that under advisement, and please keep in touch with us if you see anything else. That kind of thing. I, I think it would be probably pretty helpful if if some investigators maybe took classes in, in, in interpersonal skills, <laughs> how to communicate. You know, yeah, I think that yeah. I, there's that a way to to disseminate information effectively and a way not to to turn people off. And so there are all sorts of things that I think need to be looked at. And I also think too, I just want to mention this. I think with with MUFON and the database. And the the quality of information being entered into the database, it's it's so hit or miss. You know, you're not getting any consistency and you've got people right. that are dismissing cases based on their belief systems and not actual uh, work on the case. You know, I think that it's yeah. the database is basically, in my opinion, probably not not the best. And so no. it would be good to get something, a database where we could get have pretty – strict protocols and only yeah. have maybe a, a few people um, yeah. that ha- they're on the same wavelength collecting information. I'd like to see disinterested parties put together a, a questionnaire, a medical doctor, a psychologist, a um, meteorologist, a physicist, an optical physicist, 
Um, what else? A pilot. A group of people like that putting together a questionnaire would be amazing. I think that, that that's kind of what's needed. That might be a start. You know what really scared me, and I think we've talked about this, is I went and saw um, Jacques Vallée talk at um, Contact in the Desert. And one of the first things he said is, um, I don't think data is really uh, going to solve this anymore. And I kind of went, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is from Mr. Data. Yeah. You know? And the reason he said was, and this makes a lot of sense to me, um, garbage in, garbage out. This remind, reminded me of this right when you said that. It's like if you've got a hundred different databases or even five or six from different organizations, different countries, different cultures, how do you reconcile all these databases to anything that's useful? Right. Because it's, you know, and he said, look, you apply AI to it. And it's going to start pulling stuff. And I've talked about this on my show before. You know that 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 Google thing that turns every uh, everybody's elbows into dog faces and stuff. If you get the you know get the wrong information and an AI starts looking at it, or you've got you know uh, some sort of data mining thing, it's going to start pulling out patterns that are ridiculous, meaningless, and useless. Right. So you know what is the you know uh, at this point I don't even know if data collections really that. Um, helpful in ex- in except in that what it may contribute to the study of that particular case or certain ones like it or some in the same region region you know maybe all done by the same researcher whatever but combining everything all you're going to get probably is patterns with time of day and colors and speeds and stuff like that. Maybe. Well, I think I think the interesting thing, and this is something when I was involved. With MUFON, I mean, I, I mean, Ed, some of us understand that there are areas all over the world that are window areas or hotspots, whatever we want to call them, where there is recurrent phenomena. And I, I, to me, this is what we need to do: is identify these areas. We need to get out there and with instrumentation and collect information, collect data. That's where we need to go. We need to stop sitting behind our computers and actually get out there and do that and then share that information with others. And that's something I wanted to address too. And in the United States, I think one of the big drawbacks we have here is that there are are researchers or or people that are so closed off, they don't want to share information. And unless we have a a good foundation, we are never going to progress and people need to share information. I, I really think that that's is key to us making advancements. Yeah. Well, there is a, there is the problem that, um, especially in this field, if you share information, people start, um, uh, commandeering it for their own and saying they did it and the egos get in the way. And it's, it's a really tough one. I mean, you know, who do you, I guess I'll share information that I have with anybody, but I'm not like a frontline hardcore researcher. I never really have been except for, you know, various certain stories. Um, but you know, how, how do you deal with people? It's like, this is my, or well, like I will give you my information. Then suddenly they take it, they give you no credit and they say, look what we found out. That, that's a disincentive, you know, to share, unfortunately. Absolutely. I think, though, if we just said this is, you know, put it out there. This is my information. So you've got all of this work. You get it out there on your website. You publish it. And then there will be no right, questions right, right. about, you know, whose who's work this is. And then you can get credit and, and you know, do get get the props you, you need and deserve for all of your hard work. But it is it, it really when people have, have done the work for 50 years and they have so much they can share with new researchers, mm-hmm. 
it's it, it's critical to me to get that information out, and I don't understand why we're not doing that. And when I was in Norway, I had a lot of really incredible conversations with Erling Strand, who is an absolute hero in my mind. Can you give and, us a background of what that <laughs> is? Most people listening to this show is going to know, but when you you know uh, why you went out there, what happened? This is one of uh, a big area of uh, uh, the discussion I wanted to have while you were on. So maybe you can give it a little bit of an intro. Absolutely, yeah. So I had the pleasure of going to Heshtalan, Norway, and a few years ago, when I was looking for answers and realizing that there were places that were had recurrent activity, I found the work of Erling Strand and his team and the work of Project Heshtalan. And you can go to YouTube and look at a really great documentary called The Portal, and it shows you the, the type of people that are involved with this 35-year research project, which in my opinion is the most important research project in the world. They have done a tremendous job. So what I went over looking, there. For people who don't know, what are they what are they researching? So they're researching anomalous light phenomena. And if you go to Heshtalan.org, you can read all of their their work. Um, they went in nineteen eighty four after the this little sleepy town, Heshtalan, they the media got a hold of the fact that some of the residents were seeing up close and personal, quote unquote, UFO sightings. And the scientific community and the mainstream media were very negative, as you know, they, they can be, we know that, to these people. And Erling Strand saw that and was motivated to go there and to conduct a, a he was there, I believe, three weeks doing field research. And at that time, they had quite a significant amount of sightings. And they they deemed that it was something really worthy of a serious scientific investigation. And so they, they Erling uh, acquired funding from different sources and worked with the military, worked with, I mean, he works with Italian scientists, German, you know, all over the world. And it's really an amazing project. And so they're learning how to, they're incorporating new technologies into collecting data. And when I was there, I was there for science camp, which happens twice, twice a year. And the students from Oxford College, most of them are engineering uh, studying engineering, and they were there, and the students go up to their three different observation points on top of mountains. Let me just say that was <laughs> I got some great exercise while I was there, but they take their their tents, they take the computers, cameras, I mean everything up there, and they're there camping out twenty four seven collecting data. And these these I want to call them kids, they're not. they're adults, but I mean, they're younger, and they were so motivated and excited by what was taking place and the fact that they could learn from from Erling and Bjorn and the others that have put so much work into this. And it was a really, really cool, empowering thing to see. I, you know, had great conversations with people and I did an interview of a, a cute, a, just a really endearing person. He's in his 80s and he grew up in Heshtalan. He couldn't speak a word of English and Erling was gracious enough to translate for me so I could do the interview. But he talked about his lifetime full of sightings. And, you know, at the end, he got very teary eyed. 
So I will am trying to put together a, a documentary of my experiences over there because they're profound and they're important and they can teach us a lot. And so Erling's one of the, one of his thoughts was he didn't understand why we didn't share. And he said sharing data is absolutely vital and we need to do that. And that's one thing that they do is they get information out there. Yeah, well, I you answered my my question. Actually, it's like, why, how can people share this information? That's what's done in the scientific community. It's, it's expected, right? It expect it's expected that you one share your data and two give credit to the uh, original person that gathered the data and had the original study or whatever it was, and that you're building on that. That's what all that's what all those citations are in the back of you know of scientific papers. You know, and I have to just throw this out there. I think, too, we see a lot of uh, mythology. We see a lot of conspiracy, you know, nonsense and a lot of uh, really delusional thinking in in American ufology. And I believe that if people, researchers were more open and shared the data that we would have, we wouldn't be so likely to experience all this conspiracy nonsense uh, I think we would but you could see I, I already see the stratification I hope it I hope it continues of popular ufology which is like MUFON and TV shows and all that and um, research scientific whatever you want to call it deep ufology where people are really digging into these things at a level which the other the um, the uh, the other um, strand of, of UFO study cannot even understand Um. And I, I see that happening more and more. It's been going on forever. I mean, it started with Invisible College, but and and other groups like it. But I see that happening more and more. And I don't mind. I encourage that. I don't care if there's a segment that that uh, is popular and everybody makes a big deal out of. Um, that's fine. Let them go have their party. What I'm interested in is the kind of stuff we're talking about here. What you know. What are the deeper questions? What are the what are things that would sound completely insane to everybody outside of the group? I'm, I'm really interested in that. That's why we're talking about these things. And where can that lead us? And people say, you know, if how do you like translate such crazy things back into a thing that everybody can understand and use and all that? That this is how inventions happen, I think, or breakthroughs are made. People talk about things in a very deep way for a long time that are who are very into it and have a very you know to- tightly knit community. And at some point, there's some kind of understanding or a breakthrough that is simple enough that everybody else outside the group can understand it. But you don't know when that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Not unless you consult Psychic Olga, I yeah, guess. Yeah, and nobody knows how cell phones work, but if you get the right person, they can, you know, well, not nobody. If you get the right person, they can tell you exactly how they work because they, you know, they have a background in it and all that. And I think that's what's going on here to the point where if I can explain it to somebody that's that's fairly intelligent and they understand it, then that is the breakthrough where they say, yes, that makes total sense. I am on board with that, whatever it might be. Even if it's just, you know, the possibility, even if... uh uh who, if 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 Neil deGrasse Tyson could be on board with something that that just seems so stupid to us, that's a huge step. You know right. What I, mean? I know. I don't think he ever will because he's not that kind of person. But it, as an example, well, never say never. Yeah, exactly. But the, you know, that's the the goal is more understanding and and trying to figure out what's going on here, not 
this is important. You important people that control what everybody sees and hears and, and believes need to believe us. That's not the motivation. The motivation is to find your own understanding and answers and hopefully have that translate into something that other people can understand. Because if you go in trying to say, we're going to prove this to the world, you're on the wrong path already, I think. Absolutely. And I, I, I think that to there's so much especially and this is another thing that that Erling and I talked about is the fact that there's so much ego involved mm-hmm. in American ufology I mean I think in in, in science in any uh, field you're going to find you know the fact that there's a lot of ego going on but for some reason because we haven't had professional standards or ethical standards in this field we've allowed a lot of well, not a lot, but a, few, a handful of people who are really probably disturbed <laughs> individuals or people that are incredibly insecure that need to constantly have this gratification kind of get in um, positions of authority. And I think that's that is really quite detrimental to the whole thing. So I think we need to address the sharing of data and I think that we need to address uh, – ethical thing. and professional standards. Yeah. So we can try to get some of this out of it. I mean, I've, um, I have a really hard time. I don't, I'm not, a, I don't promote my radio show. I try, I mean, every once in a while I'll post something on a Facebook group, but I'm not, yeah, I don't you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, just... yeah, I just, it's so, it's really challenging for me. And I, if I have 10 listeners that are getting what I'm saying, I'm, I'm a happy person. And so that's a, an interesting thing for me, but I'm not, I'm, I'm here because I I care just like you do and I want I want to see changes made and I want to see good things happen and people being taken seriously and I want to see good work being done and I just think that there's a this is a really vital and important time for all of us to be addressing the way we're dealing with this topic and figuring out how we can get it so it's accessible to to new people and and younger people and we can continue the work of people like Barry Greenwood or you know uh Stanton Friedman I mean some of these people that have dedicated their whole lives to preserving history or to researching cases or all of these things we need to to you know really look at this and and get this out there and and get it carried on you would hope that would happen, but as I think we've talked about before, the, the best work is done by people, I think, that are are really into it to, to, because they have a passion about it, and they want to get a better understanding or an explanation or something like that, and the, everything else is kind of ancillary to that. I'm sure you do your show. You just said you do your show for the, this reason. I do my show because I... For the right now, what's happening right now between you and I right now, this is why I do the show. If somebody listens, that's icing on the cake. If somebody listens and contributes, that's icing with sprinkles. And and if somebody listens and is inspired to go out and do their own thing, that's like that's beyond birthday cake. That's like the best wish you could ever have. But it all goes back to why are you doing it yourself? I think that's another thing that people should look at. Why are you involved in it? What is what do you hope to get out of this? And if it's like I want people, I want to have, I want to have a TV show, or I want to, do, you know, I, I want people to listen to me. If there's a big ego part of it, I think it's really important that people recognize that because those are the kind of people you're talking about that are that seem to be taking over because the loudest people usually take over the conversation. Doesn't matter if they're right or wrong or whatever. 
but the loudest people usually take over the conversation. And the mm-hmm. fact that they're so loud means that they are they are annoying. <laughs> they're annoying. They push over other people's opinions. They don't listen to anybody. And th- th- this has nothing to do with sharing data. Um, no, with, uh, with, you know, it, it's all ego. And the, this, yep. yeah, like you said, you and you and Erling nailed it exactly. It's ego is probably the biggest problem. And figuring out why you're involved in this and taking a hard look at that, I think, is really important for anybody. That should be in the the goddamn MUFON field investigator's handbook. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. Send in that suggestion. (laughs) Let me know the response you get. (laughs) Because it'll probably be put on the website and taken down within 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the thing with with when uh, Harzan put out that statement. It was on for it was up for a day, I think. Yeah, yeah. The uh, uh-huh. who's the real hater thing, and like a hundred people said, "Are you kidding?" And they took it down pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, that down. was not not necessarily <laughs> the best PR move for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough of that. Um, let's uh, let's uh, let's talk about um, UFO porno. What's your favorite case ever? Oh, not necessarily one you've been involved with. That's the next question. Oh, man. Well, think of one. Like, you know, like, I love the Pascagoula case. I love the Herbert Shermer case. I love the um, uh, Joe Simonton case. How about you? You know what? I mean, I I honestly, I love, I do like the Phoenix Lights case. And I think that the things that happened to Dr. Kitai before the actual incident, I mean, I, those were, were interesting to me because I've seen similar things. And so I love cases like that. Um, I love anything that t- has taken place in the Yakima area in Washington State. Oh, yeah, I, that uh, uh, Jim Clarkson talks about quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And and so does Greg Long, who's been on my show, and he wrote a really great book examining the Earthlight theory. I mean, I love reading through all of those cases. And then, you know, for me, I, I absolutely am intrigued and have been looking into Skinwalker Ranch and the surrounding basin. I know these aren't single cases, but these are, <laughs> this is what, you know, I just, I, I'm trying to just look at everything and absorb it. It's, it's, well, it's so fascinating. Yeah. Well, do you have, uh, obviously you don't have access to Skinwalker Ranch, but it's not confined to that, that air, uh, that little tiny area. No. It's all through the Unitaw Basin, right? It is through the whole Uinta Basin. Uinta, sorry. It's been, yeah, get it right, Buster. Sorry, I don't live there. Ask me anything in New Mexico and I can tell you the proper pronunciation. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it's, you know, I mean, the whole area is just, it's been for decades, probably longer, a, a real area of some pretty intense sightings that have plagued the community. And it's, it is, uh, it, whatever is in this area, it doesn't seem to be a necessarily a positive thing, and this is from different researchers who've spent time there. Huh. But it's all of those places are are fascinating, and I love researching the history and what what types of minerals and and rare earth you've got in the area. Because to me, I definitely think that you know there is a connection. You know, here in Utah, we have uh, the Kennecott Copper Mines, which is the world's largest open pit copper mine and there are quite a few sightings in and around that area so is there some relation to to that i mean i just all of it and i know that's not a single case and i'm just i'm just babbling now but i get so excited (laughs) no that's okay i mean i it's like what is your favorite case or this is this is in the ballpark what 
what do you think is the connection there between like a because there's a um you know a book I keep referring to and I hate to refer to it again but um the Rebirth of Pan by Jim Brandon he pointed out that where there are places where there are underground rivers large aquifers mines and caves seem to have weird things happening uh, above them a uh, paranormal type stuff mm-hmm. So do you see that connection there because of the copper mine or anything else? I do. I do. I think that it, yeah. So that's where I'm, I'm looking at it. It's interesting in Heschel and they have uh, copper mines as well. Mm. Um, And, and so it's, it's it's fascinating. You know, you just, I, I love, I love this whole learning process and I, I love like you just talking to people and, and hearing things and then, I just, I don't just, I feel like I've become a better person since I started to do this. And I've also developed a real thick skin, which is good. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of have to. I think you should uh, model my do not engage shirt. Qu- oh, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that picture for the, for the interview. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, that was, I was really excited to wear the shirt and be standing next to the blue box over, over in Norway. That was cool. But that it is. It's important not to engage. I know, and and you've been really great to help me, kind of get, you know, get over some things. So I appreciate you on that. I've got a lot of friends, in, well, not a lot. I've got a few close friends in this, and just by talking with them, I get clued into whatever's going on that I don't know about, and then I can propagandize a little bit of my point of view of things, and you know, and see how that's going on. Because I like these things to spread amongst people, and that to spread good stuff and sort of ignore the stupid bad stuff uh, unless it needs to be addressed. All this is important to me. And th- th- like you said, the personal connections, that, that's the, probably more important than the stupid subject matter in the, in, the, in the first place. It's just the interaction between people. Yeah, it, it's so freaking cool. I mean, had I not been in this subject, I wouldn't have you know, met you and, and had the most amazing tour of an L.A. cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with UFOs at all. No, I think, no. Actually, I think um, Herbert von Karman is very buried there, who's one of the founders of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory with Jack Parsons. Uh-huh. So there's all kinds of weird little connections in there. I'm trying to think of a UFO connection to the, uh, to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. There's got to be one, a direct one, but I can't think yeah. of one right now. Oh, I know. Vampire was buried there, and she was in Plan 9 from Outer Space. There we go. Okay. Well... <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's taking me there for some reason, but you know. <laughs> yeah, we 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 had a lot of fun when you're here. Just anytime you're here, tell me, and uh, we'll go visit other. Any of my friends that are into weird stuff, they come to L.A. I've got. I was going to start a tour company, like a tour company. I was going to start taking tours on people on tours of weird Los Angeles, and now it never really turned into a thing. But now every time friends come, I take them to like one other or two other little spots that I know about. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I had so much fun. I mean, that was the whole day was just really cool to to spend with you and to see because I love like learning about these funky little places and different experiences, especially paranormal or you know any anything. And it was just it was really really fun. Yeah, I, I actually also dragged Erica to the um, the uh, headquarters of the Etheria uh, Society, and we had fun talking to uh, one of the longtime members there. Uh, if people don't know, it's a it's an old contactee group started by George King in the 1950s. And it's one of the few you know remaining um, UFO groups from that period. I think the only other one I can think of is probably is Unarius. 
And that was a really lovely experience. I will say that the gentleman that we spoke with, you know, we, he took us in and was very kind and we sat by the fire pit and he, I asked him questions we both did and, and his answers were, I mean, he was very thoughtful, very intelligent, just, you know, I, I was quite impressed with my meeting or, or the situation, the, the time that we spent there. So, yeah. I don't know if there's a satellite orbiting the Earth, spreading love and understanding out from that they send up through in prayer batteries. I have no idea. In fact, I kind of doubt that that's actually working. However, there's part of me that wants to believe that that that's actually working. The fact that the they don't really care at all whether you believe them or not that really impresses me. That just that attracts me to them more because they're just so non pushy. That's just that's not. I've been going there for years, and they've never asked me to join or get asked for money or anything. And that makes that gives them a special place in my heart. I think so too. I mean, they were very kind and and very uh, dedicated to what they believe. And it seems it, it appeared to me that everything they were practicing was very, you know, very kind and and loving, and and they were doing it from a place of just bettering mankind, you know, whatever. So, you know, other than that, I, it was a great experience to meet them. And, and thanks for sharing that with me. Sure. I did want to ask you something else. What else are you interested in, in the paranormal there? Nobody I know that's into UFOs is not interested in other stuff. I don't think. And what, yeah. how do you think it connects? You know, what oh. are the connections? I think that I think there's uh, quite a few connections, and I think it's interesting that when people witnesses have UFO sightings, they typically have paranormal ah, yes. things that take place. I mean, that's just that's that's common. Um, Do you have a and, story? Oh lordy! Um, give, give us a good one as an example, because you went and actually talked to these people and found out what was going on in their lives. What did they tell you? Get a good example where you just said, "Look, there's a real good connection here, and we got to figure it out." Well, I know, you know, for me personally, I've had experiences with both. Um, so I, I could, ah, sh- yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I actually, I'll tell you my story. This is really interesting. But um, when I was in my twenties, I moved into this really cool, just this great bungalow, and it was in this area called Sugar House, and the the house was a hundred years old. And it just, I mean, I always had a good feeling, but I was, you know, my husband would be working late at night and, and I, there would be times when things would literally fly off the shelf and, or I'd I'd go in the bathroom and the toilet lid and the seat would be up and there was nobody in the house. And it was just like, okay. Oh, that's just what guys do. I know. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Except there were no guys in the house. I mean, it was just odd little things. And I'm like, okay, weird, weird, whatever. But one night I was getting ready to go to sleep. ghost. I know. It's so rude. (laughs) Clean the toilet while you're at it. No, but I, you know, I was walking through my kitchen and I saw something or I thought it was my husband leaning against the kitchen counter and I went to bed and he was sleeping. And so I was, um, you know, a little bit uh, nervous. Yeah, you know, and so I, <laughs> I woke him up and I just said, um, you know, I, I want to tell you that some of these things have been happening and I thought I just saw you and just wanted to let you know. And and he said, you know, I've been waiting for you to tell me the same thing because I've been seeing 
um, a, a man around here for months since we moved into the house. And so it was quite interesting to, to have some experiences. And it was cool because, I mean, I have a lot of, of my good friends are, are engineers and very logical don't, but they don't believe this stuff at all. And, and they would come over and have experiences that were pretty intense and then they'd have to scratch their head for a minute and then, you know, it's on to the next thing. But it was a really, it was an unusual experience. And I, I honestly, there were times when it was unnerving, but it was whatever was there. I felt truly was probably just looking over the house. It was benevolent. And I, um, there was a story that came out about the house and it was really, really cool because I had a woman reach out to me after the story um, ran in one of the news uh, outlets here. And she said, you know, did you live at such and such an address? And I said, yes, I did. And, and, and you know, my jaw kind of hit the floor. And she said, I used to live next door. And she named the owners of the house uh before us. And she said, I came over there. I was 13 years old. I came over there with my girlfriend and we went into the basement and saw this greenish figure come out of the the wall. And it scared us so badly. We ran up the stairs and went to, ran to our bishops and our bishops told us never to talk about it. And both of them were so traumatized that one of them ended up leaving the church, the Mormon church. Yeah. Because of that. So, I mean, it was, it was really interesting that she reached out to me, gave me the address, gave me the name of the previous owners and, and shared that experience. It was, it was just, it was interesting. So I think that I'll, I, I mean, you hear experiences that people have all the time with regard to this. And I honestly don't know where one, one thing begins and the other leaves. You know, I don't yeah. know if we, can, we can't make that yeah. distinction. So we need to, I believe, look at all of it because it's, is it, it could all be related. It might not be. Yeah. It, with regards to people you've actually talked to or, or witnesses you've talked to, did you find that some of them were having some, you know, uh, experiences, anomalous experiences, either before or after their main whatever, if you want to call it a UFO experience? Or do you think that's common or is it rare? No, I think that that's, yeah, from what from what I witnessed um, from working with different cases, I mean, that seems to in some of the cases, a company thing. So a witness would have a sighting and then they would experience after the sighting. Most often they would see shadow figures in their home. They would have electrical disturbances. Some of the common things that you see in, in quote unquote hauntings. And that was a, a common theme. Hmm. So, uh, uh, well, I, and so, synchronicities, you know, okay. Yeah, what do you think that's due to? Do you think that they suddenly do they do they um what's the word? Do they catch a little bit from the the paranormal event and it it follows them around or um is it, you know, how about before? You know, has any buddy had like a a precursor? Because um I I was talking to a researcher once and he said, "Did you realize that before the um what is it? The uh, uh Papua New Guinea, the Father Gill case?" you know, with the people waving from that platform mm -hmm, up in the air. Mm -hmm. He said um, about 10 minutes before that, or very soon before that, the same witness, Father Gill and whoever he was hanging out with in the building, 
Um, they heard a knock at the door, and they went to the door, and nobody was there. And then you know, like a little while later, they saw this thing in the sky. So does it seem to be something that happens in kind of a soft way, or is it like, or do they have a sighting, and then all this weird paranormal stuff happens after? That is my dog. <laughs> the dog doesn't like it. You, you can tell when he doesn't like what I'm saying. Oh, dear. Okay, hang on one sec. You've got to keep talking because somebody's at my door, so I've got to quiet the dog down. I'll be right back. That's okay. That's okay. I'll let it. No, I'm, I won't keep talking. I want to hear the dog. I don't hear anything. She's going to say it was a man in black, and he told us to quit talking about this. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Oh, I, was, I just said it's going to be – she's going to come back and say it was a man in black who was telling us to stop talking about this. Yeah, I keep waiting. <laughs> yeah, but well, to, to reiterate the question, do you think that this stuff is caused by the sighting it ha- or that p- people enter some sort of a field or whatever you want to call it or their mind is affected in some way that, that it happens before or after? Do you have a, a model for this or is it just something that everybody seems to have noticed? You know what? I, I, it just is is something that everyone seems to notice. I know that they're... Are, there's the organization for experiencers um, free, right. and the survey that they send out deals a lot with the paranormal aspect and what what occurs to the witness prior and post to you know a sighting. I, for me, when I was investigating cases, it would you'd have the sighting and then there would be effects after or encounters after. And so I didn't really see too many cases where there was something beforehand. But perhaps if if people, and I don't think this happens enough, I don't think people, people typically tend to remember the sighting and then they dismiss all of the other little things. And maybe after the sighting, they were, they're more aware of their surroundings and they're paying more attention. So could things be happening before? Probably. Maybe they just weren't getting it. Yeah, I see what you mean. And how long does this last? I mean, does it uh, does it stay with them for days, weeks, months? Does anybody do follow up on this stuff? They should. People do do follow ups, and it, it again, I free is is doing a lot of that. It the the effects typically, I mean, from a day to a week to a month, so you get all all different ranges. But it's 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 fascinating, and you need there's so many areas of this to study. Yeah, it's it's overwhelming, and as much as I would like to look into experience or research and things like that, I mean, I I just am, I'm, I've, I'm trying to narrow down my passion and and my okay, knowledge. I'm sorry, you have to. It, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but most people have to specialize. There's no way around. I it. know it. Dang it! But to you know remain aware of what other people are doing and what you know and keep up in the literature that's that's another thing. it's kind of hard for me to do it the easiest way for me to do it is just to ask people on my show and <laughs> ask them a question it's a lot easier than actually do it going and trying to search this stuff out because they've already done it for me isn't that great yeah and we well, learn so much on our shows that's the thing that's so awesome when nick asked me if i wanted to uh write for um ufo mystic with him i jumped at the chance because it in what was it 10 years ago more than 10 years ago like 12 something like that i did it because i thought it would one it keeps my writing chops up because i had to write something almost every day but two and more importantly it kept my brain in the it, like kept my head in the game and i kind of wanted to keep it there i wanted to be able to hear what was going on hear what people were saying keep up on the news and all that and now i've got this you know network of people i know that's been built up over the last what 20 something years 
and they will start, you know, they will send me stuff that's interesting. And if they don't, I have them on my show and pull it out of them. Uh, apart from that, as you know, you hear things, you go to conferences and all that. The best part of these conferences, and I think they should still have them, they should have online ones that's very important just to get out to the most amount of people. But the in-person thing, you're never going to replace that. The best part of those conferences is finding somebody either you've never met before, somebody you haven't seen in a while or whatever, going to their room or hanging out and exchanging information. A lot of great information is exchanged in those things that nobody ever hears about, which has repercussions down the line. Yeah, exa- exactly. And I, I just want to say, too, that I, I had so much fun hanging out at UFO Congress with you. you. That, that was – are you going uh, in, in February? No, oh, I, would, I would absolutely love to, but I have been traveling so freaking much that I have to yeah, stay too. here and address, you know, oh, your business, business and, yeah. you know, I mean, there is that. <laughs> but, and I also plan to spend some time, if I go anywhere, doing uh, field research here in Utah, up in the uh, Uinta Basin. Yeah. No, that, that's very important. I'm, I'm going mainly because uh, Robbie Graham's going to speak there, and I've never met him. I've talked to him for months now. But he's they, he actually accepted the speaking date, so uh, I did want to actually make it over there. And I think they're still looking for speakers. I wanted to actually suggest people like Josh Cutchin and, and MJ Benias and a few other people I know who I think would be great additions and new voices, which is what uh, Rojas and other people there are still looking are always looking for. I loved it last year. I think that it was really really cool to me to see that uh, Alejandro was totally down with getting Erling Strand. Yeah, over there, and to me that is that was huge, and I, uh, I that's the kind of stuff that we need to get out there. And I, I just want to say too, I was kind of shocked, and and we've had this discussion before, and a little saddened that that you know Erling had a good attendance, but he didn't have as many as another speaker who focuses on a single case, and that you know <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. But it was you know we need to really change things and and people need to understand that there's more to life than a single case or an old old case that is now so wrought with um personality conflicts and bullying and all of that crap that it becomes tainted you know it's like i think to me in my opinion when a case gets like that you just you put it away yeah exactly you know i think the best uh, cases in uh incidents that are studied are the ones that are studied the quiet the the most quietly uh, in the background until people have gotten what they figured they can get out of it and then, you know, maybe go back to it a few years later. That fascinates me when people go back to like a Rex Heflin and then try and figure out exactly what was going on when the pictures were taken. There was a paper presented at the SSE conference here in God, years ago, like 2005 or four or something like that. I saw this presentation and it was uh, Ann Druffel, uh, uh, I don't think Kevin Randall was in the group. Ann Druffel uh, and I think an optical physicist, a few other people, presented a kind of a new take on the case, which was how did he didn't have the original pictures for years, and somebody called him up and, and said, go look in your mailbox, and the pictures were returned to Rex Heflin after like 40 years. So they had the, and there were Polaroids. So they had the original Polaroids, and they were able to do scans of them and find out, you know, what was going, make measurements, um, take a careful look at them. And a couple pictures that he said he'd taken and nobody ever saw, uh, there were of um, smoke rings. When the object took off, it left a smoke ring in the air. (laughs) 
And he said, I saw the smoke ring. I took a picture of it. But he didn't have the picture because the guy that said he was from, you know, the Air Force or something took the pictures from him and never gave them back. And here, 40 years later, we find out there was a smoke ring and he showed us the and the Polaroids were in there in, in the envelope with the other pictures. Very strange, but a, a nice new twist on that case. And I had people arguing with me online that he had hoaxed it. And I said, did you go read, you know, obviously Ann Ruffle and a few of these people are very pro-UFO. But the information they presented was impressive enough to me to, to not consider, you know, not even uh, consider yet that Rex Heflin had, had hoaxed these pictures. And the, the, the analysis was really compelling. And the, the cool thing was that they were looking at stuff that nobody had seen in this format for 40 years or more. And also that confirmed a part of the witness's testimony. So that kind of stuff fascinates me. I mean, I don't know how much it affects anything outside of the UFO community, but um, it's it's a, it's a strong uh, as a, as an old case bringing it up again. New information was presented, and I think that was that was amazing. And I like it when new information is presented that explains an old case. Doesn't bother me if it's explained. I could not care less if a case of ex- is explained. I like it if it is. Right, and that's and that's that's cool. And like you say, I think that's a good thing. If there's new information, bring it out. If but when it it gets to the point where all you see is, you know, uh, infighting or uh, nastiness, and you know, it's it's just time to give it up until you can be nice and be respectful and yeah, yeah. Do not engage again. Oh Lord, you've got a lot of T-shirts you need to send out. <laughs> I'll give you a list. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm trying to get people to order them because it's, it, I think I, I think there's been two ordered and they were by me. <laughs> and I have a, I have another one up there. It says uh, mimic the obliqueness of the subject, and it's got. I love that. Yeah, and nobody's going to understand that except like crazy deep UFO researcher people. Next conference I go to, I'll take one of my Mimic the Obliqueness, and it's got the Passaic, New Jersey like classic saucer uh, picture Ooh. above it. Sweet. You do so many cool things. Yay. You know what one of the questions was that I did not ask you? You're talking about people, you know, should be doing proper work. Who do you think is doing good? Besides Erling Strand, we know you like him and I agree with you. But anybody else that's doing good work that people should pay attention to? And, And women, too, especially women that you know that are doing good work that people should look up. You know, there are, I think you are going to have, uh, Diana... Pesulka on the show, on your show? Uh, yes. And she is just incredibly brilliant and yeah, doing a lot smart. of... Yeah, and I, you know, I think people like her are important to, to look at, I think. I mean, I will always say, you know, Dr. Uh, Jacques Vallée is a big one for both of us. Mm-hmm. So, I, And also, Greg Long um, is somebody who is still actively doing things. He did an important book on Yakima and has done a lot of research on anomalous light phenomenon. So that's another someone I also think, uh, you know, and there are not a lot of women that I'm naming here, which is unfortunate. We're going to change that. Um, Phyllis Budinger, you know, is a woman who's done great things. Um, I think, you know, I have to really respect Kathleen Martin for all the hard, the decades of hard work that she's done in trying to get the experiencer uh, phenomena validated and taken seriously. I know that's been a challenge for her to be to work in a male-dominated field, and so I mean, there there there's wonderful 
people who have contributed that still want to contribute. And unfortunately, some people have been so uh, they've experienced such negativity in this field. They've gone underground. And so it's taken me a considerable amount of work to, to make connections with them and, and to, to show them that I'm a genuine person and, and to, to, you know, I try to get them on my, my show so people can understand the gravity of their work. But I mean, those are, those are people that I respect a great deal and look up to. I had another uh, question that we didn't get to, amazingly, because usually if I haven't had somebody on, especially if I don't know them, but I, I do know you, um, I have usually 20 questions. I, got like, I, I threw 12 down in like two minutes. How about favorite um, book titles, like Paranormal, UFO, anything um, that you think that people – like here's, here's a couple things you really should read to, you know, one, know what I'm talking about and be in my headspace, and two, for anybody, you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, I think Clear Intent uh, and, and the UFO cover-up, Barry Greenwood and, and Larry Fawcett wrote those. And, and Clear Intent is – is it was written back in the 70s, I believe. But that really yeah. is uh, – that's a, a groundbreaking book and an important one for anybody who, who looks at this subject. I love reading, you know, George Hansen. Oh, yeah. Some of his his books, I think Chris O'Brien has, you know, Stalking the Trickster and some of those, the books that he's written are great. And I would recommend um, Firestorm is a great book about oh, the, McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's, yeah, by, mm-hmm. um, uh, 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 we mentioned her actually. Druffel. Yeah, Druffel. Anne Druffel, yeah. Mm-hmm. Another, you know, great woman. Um, so those are all, I mean, I've got, like you do, well, no, not like you do because I'm so jealous of your book collection. I'm working on it, but you've got some really great books. But I mean, I'm just trying to get... I've been collecting for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I I love it, but I'm I'm trying to do that too. I've been buying lots of uh, old books on eBay and things and adding that to my collection. And I've got tons of old newsletters from the 50s that were graciously sent to me. Um, and so I, I just love all of that, but I'll put together a list and then I'll share it with you and, and share it on my Facebook page because there are some really good books and it's not the typical, right. you know, yeah, book. Yeah. I think it's, there's important information. And also another one that, uh, Nick Redfern recommended to me was, uh, in the thicket or into the thicket. And that was Never about heard of it. And that, yeah, it's out of print, but, and I, I wish I could remember, I could run over to my bookshelf and see, but I want to say Briggs, oh, but I'll, I could be completely wrong, but he wrote it and it was about this area that he researched in Texas that was very similar to Skinwalker Ranch or wow. Brown Mountain. And that is a really, really good book. Let's see. Dang. Okay, now I'm gonna have to walk over to my bookshelf. So you're gonna have to hang on for a second. <laughs> no, walk over and take a look. That's fine. All right, hang on. Let's see. One of, one of my favorites is. Can you hear me over there, Erica? That's no, probably on headphones. Um, and I've mentioned it before. Cyber biological studies of the imaginal component in the UFO contact experience. Find that one. That's a good one. A lot of people uh, in the uh, UFOs reframing the debate, I think, are drinking at the same fountain as the uh, okay. that book. Right. 
Are you talking to yourself again? No, no. I was mentioning a book that I liked, um, Cyber Biological Studies of the Imaginal Component in the UFO Contact Experience. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's the longest UFO book title ever, I think. Does it have cliff notes? Uh, it doesn't need them. It's not a very long book. Okay, it's a, it's, a, it's like it's like reframing the debate like 20 years ago. Okay, okay. That's good. Yeah. So, okay, I found it. So it's Rob Riggs, and it's in the big thicket on the trail of the wild man. Oh, okay. And it's it's really cool. Like I said, Nick Redfern recommended it, and it is it's a good book. But I I love finding these funky books, and I I've been collecting books on ghost lights because that's the same same type of thing that that I'm researching. Yeah, exactly. Um, God, what uh, Paul Devereaux has written quite a bit on that, which I'm sure yes. you yeah, um, yep. you've read his stuff or or mm-hmm. at least know about it. Uh, I've got some of his books. What, there's one called uh, Mysterious Fires and Lights. You've got that one? Is that... Vincent Gaddis. It's, yes, yes, yes. Yes, I do have that one, actually. That is a landmark book. That is, that a, is a great book. I love that book. book. Yep, it's my like, friend it's like as if John Keel wrote a book about it. Except yep. it's, you know, the, the Vincent Gaddis, who was a Fortean and a magician and all that. He's a, I mean, a stage magician. He's, that's an incredible book. And there are also some. Okay, hang on. Well, I've got to go back over to my go, bookshelf. Go hang on. Look, that's like, okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, my whole bookshelf was going to fall over on me there for a second. Yeah. Well, my wife's scared that the bookshelf here is going to fall over in an earthquake, and we're not going to be able to get out of the house. That's probably. Uh, yeah. I. Yeah. You might want to address that <laughs> <laughs> by sending the books to me. Oh, all right. Let me let me let me, let me start packing them up. Okay. Thank you. You're yeah. so nice. You are truly kind. Okay, so another group of books, catalogs that I have added to my collection are the the works by William Corliss. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And, you know, like Inner Earth, A Search for Anomalies. I mean, all of these, just they're fascinating. And I actually, when I I purchased a few of them, I sent a a message to his son who takes all the orders now because William has passed away. But I just said, thank you so much for... I just wanted to let you know how important your father was and that, you know, there are people out here who really care about his work and mm-hmm. how cool that was. And he was so kind. So it was neat to hear a response from him. But those are awesome books, too. So yeah. I've got one of his. I found it in a used bookstore. It's one of his original releases. It's in a tiny little three ring binder. Oh, we take a picture and send it to me. I want to see okay. it. Yeah, it's in this little like uh, what? Eight by ten, maybe smaller than that, three ring binder, because that's the only way you could publish, self publish at that time. Um, so yeah, it's in this orange three ring binder with the with the cover printed on the front of the, the plastic binder cover. <laughs> Very early, um, or relatively early, William Corliss book. I can't even remember which one it is because he did many, many, many volumes uh, uh, on different subject matter. He's if people don't know who Corliss was, he's basically. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, if people don't know who Corliss was. He is basically a Charles Fort of uh, the 1960s, 70s, 80s. Um, he went and did exactly what Charles Fort did, um, but you know, updated it up to you know uh, at least the late 20th century. He went back to sources that were almost as old as Fort's, but he basically did the same thing and looked through newspapers and and scientific journals and all that to find all these anomalous. Um, uh, occurrences, things, um, out-of-place artifacts, uh, lights, weather phenomena, ocean phenomena, everything. And they're fascinating books. 
They are. I love them. It's really cool. I think sometimes it's it's important to look outside of you know mainstream ufology to put together things. And I've been also looking at different articles because in areas like Skinwalker Ranch or Heschel and uh, different places, you'll you'll find you'll hear reports of underground sounds. You'll hear about cookie cutter events where sections of soil have been moved and it looks like they've just been scooped out of the ground and they've Mm -hmm. been found in this neat little, uh, you know, just like it's like they picked them up, like turned them halfway around and then put it like 300 feet away. Right. Like three inches down to the soil and they're just not broken up. Just the whole thing sits there. Um, the displaced from the original spot. And it fits exactly perfectly. I mean, it's just like you said, cookie cutters, like, boom, took it over there. Some giant brought in a cookie cutter, pulled up the ground, moved it a few hundred feet and dropped it and left. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. The whole thing is just fascinating to me. And I, I love researching and learning and talking to different people, especially researchers that have kind of gone underground mm-hmm. because they hate, they can't stand the negativity in the field and and it's just it's been a, a, a just a pleasure to establish relationships with people and so yeah. many of these people just want to note their work is carried forward with integrity yeah yeah it uh, do not enga- historical do not engage people people that it's got time the- for another shirt yeah it's people that got the message a long time ago and realized that the the maddening crowd was a, a source of noise annoyment and uh, impediment to their their work some people are just crazy and they, they, they go off by themselves, but some people are very sharp and they actually don't care whether anybody listens to them or not. But they, like you said, they, they do care that, if, uh, that what they've done is not for nothing and that somebody notices and carries it forward, like you said. So, yeah, that's important. Yeah, again, the cliff notes of some sort of flannel board story or something. Yeah, which- let's get the flannel board uh, investment. Uh, I, I want an investment advisor that just comes up in, me with, in front of me with a flannel board and puppets. I love puppets. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's very strange, but I always, I don't know, in my mind, I think it would be, I, I yeah, anyway, we'll have to talk about that off the air. <laughs> I think we should tell Alejandro instead of UFO. No, I want him to have UFO Jeopardy because I want to be on it. Um, and, and I think one of the presentations should be a puppet show. Oh, that would be. <laughs> I would take, I would volunteer to make the puppets, and it would be so disturbing because crafting is. I try really, really hard, and I am totally bad. But whatever. Yeah, I, th- I would like to see a Pascagoula alien um, puppet. Oh, okay, okay. I am so on it, and I'm sending it to you. (laughs) The problem is they didn't have any mouth. (laughs) Well, make it easier to make the puppet. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. I'm seriously going to do that. So look out, buddy, because here it comes. And I will pay for your therapy on this one. Oh, thank you. Well, we'll ex- yeah, we'll we'll exchange it for whatever. Oh, oh, that's right. We'll exchange therapy payments because you asked me to pay for yours at the beginning. Well, it'll look like my nerd box. You saw how that turned out. So yes. Yes, I, I like the nerd box. It was a punk. Oh, it was a total punk nerd box. Yeah, that's something. It's very that's nice what, of you to try what, to make me feel good. Yeah, that's all the stuff that Erica took. All the equipment Erica took to Heshtalen with her was in a um, case, and I and you said that's my nerd box, and I said you should actually stencil on their nerd box. So she did. <laughs> sort and of. yeah, well, I yeah, okay. So <laughs> expect a sock puppet that looks like that. Excellent. 
I, yeah. I can't wait. I, th- I think you should just start a whole Etsy page of um, paranormal puppets. Oh, my gosh. Okay. okay totally. There you go. There you go. That's a free idea. Please run with it. I'll Forget do. UFO research. I'm making sock puppets. <laughs> Here's a Rael sock puppet. Here's a, um, you know, whatever. No, well, he's not a, he's not a, a being. I can't remember. Uh, here's a, uh, 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 I'm trying to think of another being. Oh, a Flatwoods monster sock puppet. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to make a Greg Bishop sock puppet. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Please don't. I will. Okay. It'll be on YouTube later tonight. All right. Well, tell me when it's posted and I'll link okay. it to the show. Thanks so much for being on the show with me. <laughs> uh, had a lot of fun, which is exactly what the show's about. And we'll do it again sometime. And uh, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I just, like I said, I really appreciate all of your work and everything. All of your ideas for not engaging and... And, and engaging yeah. when it's appropriate. Oh, wh- uh, what song do you want to hear f- for the end of the show? Do you have any Shatner? <laughs> yes well, what are you oh, talking about sweet okay and i just have I, to know, I know you're say, a shatner fan i am such a shatner fan i honestly i totally have kind of a crush on shatner and met him at comic-con i had to go to comic-con to meet him and it was the best two minutes of my life and when he looked at me and said well pleasure to meet you i was like oh it was <laughs> it was truly they had, to, they had to they had to wipe you off the floor later. They did, and I will I, I I'll post the picture I took of me standing next to him because it's really dorky, but it, it sums it up. Okay, please please put that up. Okay, I will tell you what I've got: elegy for the brave, uh, soliloquy from Hamlet. Hamlet. Oh no. Yeah. How insensitive. Um, how yeah? How insensitive. You know that song? It's a jazz song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You want to hear that one? Sure, my and this with a with scaring me to death. Why not? Okay, let's see what this is. <laughs> a lot of work for harp players in the sixties. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> You've heard this before or no? I've not heard Shatner's version, but... How insensitive. (laughs) How insensitive I must have seen. When she told me that she loved me. How unmoved (laughs) and cold. Wow, I love speak singing. I must have seen. When she told me so sincerely. Aw, that's so sweet. Why? <laughs> she must have asked. <laughs> Did I just turn and stare in icy silence? You gotta love reverb. Yeah. What was I to say? Do you think he practiced this? What can you say? No. Probably the first take. Well, I mean... It's over. Kind of sounds like it. Hey, he's being Shatner. That's what he does. Go for it, Bill. Yep. 
Oh, no. There's, just, there's a little bit more of a... String uh, solo. He's probably having a cigarette and, and like, a couple <laughs> sips of wine here before he starts yeah. the next. No, there he goes. gone away. <laughs> and I'm alone. Yep. With the memory of her last look. Drawing and sad. I see it still. Doesn't this sound like a karaoke track? Yes. All our hey, I seriously want this in that for my last party. Room. Okay, I'll send it to you. Oh, thank you. How she must hmm. have asked. Hmm. <laughs> Could I just turn and stare in icy silence? <laughs> what was I to do? What can one do when a love affair is over? <laughs> oh, that's so shattered. Oh, gosh. Of course, there's a uh, uh, rain and thunder at the end, and wind. There you go. Whoa. Well, I hate to say it, but I still have a crush on him. <laughs> I I, uh, I realized something a few years ago. William Shatner basically um, learned his acting from watching um, Orson Welles, and then camped it up. That's my theory. I think you might be right on that one, but yeah. I will say that the star in Star Trek, you know, he had a really really good girdle. I would like to get me one. <laughs> a girdle? Yeah, don't, I mean, don't, yeah, he's got a sucked in in the midsection. Oh, I he's never, like, I never knew that he had the yeah. girdle. Well, huh. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd hate to start something, you know, that is not necessarily true. But I'm assuming there was some sort of probably man's ear girdle type. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch him throw the styrofoam rocks, you know. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't right. know. <laughs> On that note. All right. Thanks, Erica. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. All right. <laughs> See ya. So. All right. Bye. Bye.